Oh, man, it's great to be here with you guys today. Um, yeah, let me just tell you quickly what Pastor Serve is. Pastor Serve is a ministry to pastors. We come alongside pastors um, all over the country. I am the Midwest director, so I focus a lot here in Kansas City. The president of Pastor Serve is a guy named Jimmy Dodd, who many of you might know. He's been around a long time and, and is an amazing guy. Um, and so he's the president now, and I'm the Midwest director. But we work with pastors all over the place. So I talk to pastors literally all over the country every week. Um, our goal is to encourage them, uh, to build them up. We do some coaching. Um, we do conflict resolution. Uh, every once in a while, we fill in and preach. And uh, that's what I'm doing today here uh, for Mark. You know, I, I grew up down the street at Christ Anglican Church. I was, uh, I was like one of the first kids baptized there a long time ago. My mom still goes there. My dad's buried there. Uh, but this, so I drove by this church like every week, you know, for decades. Uh, and this church has such a great, great reputation in this town. You know, Mark is a wonderful pastor. I've gotten to know him here in the last couple of years uh, since I've been with Pastor Serve. And he is, he is a really, really a fine, fine man and pastor. He really loves you guys. I mean, that comes through when I've talked with him. Uh, he has a passion for this church. He's excited about the new vision that you guys have been talking about. Um, and so I just really encourage you to pray for him. Every pastor needs someone praying for him, and they need their flock praying for them. And you know, Paul, when he wrote his letters, almost always asked people to pray for him, the people he's writing to. Um, so let me encourage you in a real practical way to pray for Mark and for all your pastors here at this church. Um, if you pull out your mobile phone and if you text the word pastor to the phone number 74574, then every day, Pastor Serve will send you a little thing you can pray for your pastor. Sometimes it'll be pray for your pastor and their family or pray for your pastor to be encouraged or pray for your pastor to speak boldly the word of God. I get it. I, I go to another church here in town and I pray for my pastor. It's a good reminder. It comes around 1130 every day. Um, so anyways, I just encourage you to do that and tell him, man, I'm praying for you. Um, and I'm sure that would mean a lot, a lot to him. Um, so what I want to do is pray uh, and set up our time that we're going we're gonna to talk together today. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here at such a great church. Lord, a church that's been testifying to the good news of Jesus Christ for just decades. Lord, I thank you for this church. Lord, we pray now that you help us, to help us to open our hearts and our minds to what you want to say to us. Open your word to us. Just like you opened the disciples' minds to your word when you met them on the road to Emmaus, we pray now you would open our hearts. And like their hearts were caught on fire by your word, we pray that your word would catch our hearts on fire today. And we pray this in your name, amen. Okay, we're gonna talk today about dealing with doubts. And the reason we're gonna do that is I am an Anglican priest, although I work full-time for, um, for Pastor Serve. I did grow up, like I said, down the hill there at uh, the Episcopal Church, which then became Anglican, and I am also Anglican now. Um, but uh, the Sunday after Easter Sunday in the Anglican world is always Doubting Thomas Sunday. So you have this great proclamation of the resurrection, and then the next week you talk about, you know, Thomas not believing in that, at least at first. And so as I talked to Mark and we prayed uh, about what, for, what I should be sharing with you guys about, um, both, both of us thought, maybe that would be a good topic to talk about. Just doubts, because everybody has doubts, you know? 
We all wrestle with them. Uh, and, and in fact, even the phrase doubting Thomas is still in our culture a little bit, you know. Uh, don't be a doubting Thomas or whatever. It's not as much as it was maybe before as we're becoming more, more post-Christian. But still, I thought, that this, uh, I thought this little cartoon was pretty funny. <clears throat> it says, all I'm saying is we don't call Peter denying Peter or Mark runaway naked Mark. Why should I be saddled with this title? I see your point, Thomas, but really, it's time to move on, <laughs> you know. Uh, I'm really thankful that the event that happened between Thomas and the disciples and Jesus, I'm really thankful it was written down because it's really encouraged me over the years. I've, I've had a lot of questions. Uh, I'm kind of a skeptical person by nature. I became a Christian when I was in high school. I had a lot of questions then, and I've continued to have questions in my life. Uh, most of you probably have at least had some time in your life where you had a question about God. I, that's normal. Um, the Pope has just put out a new uh, book called Dear Pope Francis, um, and uh, it has, these are, the Pope answers letters from children around the world. Basically, like, lots and lots of children around the world drew a picture and then asked the Pope a question, and then they selected, I think, like 30 of them or something like that, then the Pope gives an answer to them. So let me give you a couple of these here. Uh, the first one here says, Dear Pope Francis, I would like to know more about Jesus Christ. How did he walk on water? <laughs> yes, I just love kids because like that wouldn't be the first thing that I would ask probably, but it's a great question. How did Jesus walk on water? Here's another one. Dear Pope Francis, it's an honor to ask you my question. My question is, what did God do before the world was made? Ever wonder that? What does he do? Did he go shopping or he just, what did he do before all of us were here? That's a good question. Okay, here's another one. Dear Pope Francis, if God loves us so much and didn't want us to suffer, why didn't he defeat the devil? You know, that's a great question. You know, why is the devil still around? And the Pope has a pretty good answer. He basically says he did defeat him on the cross and through the resurrection, but the devil's like a big dragon that although he's been stabbed and is dying, his big tail can still swing and hit people. So that's kind of a cool uh, answer to a, a, a kid's question. But what I love most about this is this picture. Okay, so you have the girl who wrote the question there on the left, and she has a heart, and she's fighting Satan or the devil there. But look how happy the devil is. He's got a big smile. And uh, above his head, he has no heart. That's a heart sign with a knot across it. No heart in the devil there. Anyway, I thought that was a pretty fun picture. Okay, here's another one. Uh, Dear Pope Francis, I would like to find out why did God create us even though he knew that we would sin against him? That is a great question. Um, and one more. Dear Pope Francis, why do you need that tall hat? <laughs> I think it's great that they put that in the book. Um, there he is with his big pointy hat and there she next, next to him. Anyway, um, we all do have questions and we have doubts from time to time. The, the deal is, what do we do with those questions and doubts? And I think we can learn a lot from Thomas and from this story. So we're going to dig into John chapter 20, beginning at verse 24. It says, now Thomas, also known as Didymus, which means twin, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. 
Okay, Thomas and the disciples, they all do some good things here, really. I mean, this is a pretty strong statement of I'm just not going to believe unless I get to see Jesus myself. But there's a couple of things that they all do well, if you read the rest of the story, which we will in a second. One is Thomas doesn't stop hanging out with the disciples just because he's doubting. Now, it's very, it's very normal and common when we have doubts, when we feel skeptical, um, especially if, you've had, if you have questions like, gosh, scientific questions, and go, I just don't know if I can believe this because there's so many other ways of looking at things than the Bible does. Maybe you have a moral question like, well, I just don't think that's wrong, and so I just can't believe that it is. Uh, maybe you have a disappointment question, a, a, a disillusionment question, like God didn't answer a prayer that was really important to you. And you just feel like, oh, I just don't know if I can believe in him anymore. Whatever the reason, it's, it's normal to want to withdraw from people of faith. It's normal to want to stop going to church because you feel like I just don't fit. They all believe and I don't. But what's really cool about Thomas is he hangs in there with the other disciples. He stays there because you all, where you work out your questions and doubts is in community. That's the best place. So if you're here today and you have a question or a doubt, and you feel like, well, maybe I shouldn't be here because I don't fully believe or I have these questions, please keep coming to Hillcrest. This is the place for you to get answers and to work through your questions. And that's what Thomas did. Another thing that's really cool is the disciples didn't exclude him. They could have said, oh, whoa, whoa, Thomas, you've gone over the line there, buddy. That's pretty fierce and kind of gross, by the way. I want to put my finger where the nail holes are. I want to put my hand in his side where he was stabbed. You know what? Why don't you just stop coming, Thomas? Because you don't believe as strongly as we do. Now, they could have said that, but they don't. They obviously, as we can tell in the rest of the story, they welcome Thomas. They include him. So you as a church, it's important for you to give room for people who are still figuring things out. Or for people who've known Christ a long time, but they hit a roadblock in their faith. And they find themselves doubting. Because that's, you know what? Look, I've been a Christian a long time. I've been a pastor for 34 years. And I've had lots of doubts after having become a Christian. So in the community, we need to let people work through their doubts with us in love and grace. And that's what they do. They model that for us here. The third thing that Thomas does that I think is really cool is that he exposes his doubts. He could have kept them all inside. He could have just kind of gone inside and go, gosh, I, I don't believe these guys say they saw Jesus. I, I wouldn't believe unless I got to touch his wounds. But not said anything. Instead, he exposes them. He puts them right out there. He lets, him, he lets him be known to everybody, to the disciples that are in that room. I was on a uh, plane flying back from Charleston, South Carolina this year, and I love to have conversations with people on planes about spiritual things, uh, and it's always easier because I can trap them. They can't get away from me. <clears throat> and so I, I was having a conversation with a woman, a young woman in her 20s that was sitting next to me, and I just took an interest in her for the first hour or so, just asked her about her life, asked her what she was doing. It was really interesting. And, and she told me about her job and uh, where she grew up and hobbies and all kinds of things. And eventually I said something about that I work with pastor serve. It's a ministry to pastors to encourage pastors. And I said, how about you? Do you have church anywhere in your background? And she said, oh, yeah, I used to go to church. Uh, I used to go to church a lot. Um, but now I don't believe in God. And frankly, I am not interested. And so um, I took that as a challenge. Uh, no, actually I did. Um, and, and I said, wow, well, I, I'm interested. What changed if you used to be in a church and now you, you, you're not? What happened? She said, well, I went off to school 
And I learned a lot of things, and her background was engineering and everything, that's what she does. Um, she said, I learned a whole lot, and as I learned about science and everything, I just got to the point I just couldn't believe the, the things I'd been taught. I couldn't believe in God. And I said, you know, science does raise a lot of difficult questions uh, about God and existence and like how the world came to be, and, and that, that is true. There are a lot of questions that it raises. So we began to talk about spiritual things over the next, well, all the way until the, the, the flight landed. Um, but what she was willing to do was eventually begin to talk about some of her questions. So if you are having trouble right now believing or you've got doubts or questions, the best thing you can do is to expose them, to talk about them in a, in a place hopefully where you won't be judged. We all need that. We all need a place where we can work through and wrestle through things that are bugging us in our minds and our hearts about God. I went to um, a very liberal, um, theologically liberal seminary. Uh, it, I was uh, an Episcopal priest before I was an Anglican priest. And um, so I went to an Episcopal seminary. And by liberal, I mean that they didn't believe that the Bible was God's word. In fact, they, wouldn't, they would have said that you can't really tell anything that Jesus said in the Bible. My theology teacher didn't believe in the resurrection or Christ's substitutionary death for our sins or anything like that. So it was very liberal. I had a few teachers that were awesome, but most of them were in a completely different place. I went there as a guy who had been a youth pastor for five years here in, in town. Love the Lord, love the Bible, believe the Bible, believe in God. And um, I went there and they just really began to challenge me personally, actually made fun of me, mocked me, uh, belittled me for my faith. And after being there for a year, and they were smart, they were very, very smart, intelligent people. And I started thinking, wow, they have a lot of reasons for why they don't believe. Why do I believe? And then I started feeling a lot of guilt for, for the questions I was having. I felt ashamed. I felt a little bit angry that my faith had been uh, turned upside down. I felt afraid. And so I remember praying uh, that first year in seminary and saying, God, why did you bring me to this place that would cause me to doubt? And what, it was one of those times when I, I, when I prayed that I, I really felt like God said something back to me in my mind. And what came to me in my mind was, I didn't send you here to make you doubt. I sent you here to get the doubts that you already had out in the open. See, the Lord likes to help us expose our doubts, expose our questions. Why? So he can help us with them. He likes to help us with it. And that's exactly what he does here for Thomas. He does three things to help Thomas. The first thing he does is he gives him an encounter. He gives him an encounter. I'll explain in a second. The other thing he does is he gives him some evidence. And lastly, he gives him an exhortation. So let's look at verse 26 and 27 here. It says, A week later his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them, though the doors were locked. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. What I love about this, the first thing I want to note here, and we're going to stick on this verse here for a, a, a little bit, what I like about this is he says to Thomas. It's a personal encounter with Thomas. He knows what's going on in Thomas's heart and mind. And he says right to him, hey, Thomas. 
Thomas, let's deal with this. Let's have a personal encounter because he personally cares about Thomas and all of his questions. You know, sometimes what we need isn't a bunch of answers. What we need is a personal encounter with the living Christ. We need to know that he actually loves us. We need to maybe feel his peace or his presence or his grace. We need to, to see him at work somehow. So what we really need is an encounter. And God knows when we need those. When I was in high school, I was kind of a wild kid. Uh, like I said, I grew up going to church down the hill there. Uh, and they, um, they invited me to the youth group and my mom begged me to go. So I went uh, and I found in this youth group um, this wonderful woman who led the group who really loved Jesus. Now, the, the other kids in the group, they all seemed to believe and they would talk about it. And I think, well, gosh, this seems real to everybody else, but I didn't believe any of it. But over a course of about a year, my sophomore year in high school, I, I, I began to think, well, maybe there is really a God. Maybe this is real. Maybe Jesus is real. And I'd try to pray, and sometimes it would seem like there were answers to prayer, and sometimes I'd pray, and it would seem like there weren't answers. Um, but in the summer, between my sophomore and junior year, I, I picked up the Bible one day when my parents were both gone. They both were at work. My sister was gone. And I decided I was going to read it for myself. Now, up until that point, I had not read the Bible very much. And I read a, a version called Good News for, for Modern Man. Does anybody remember that old version? There you go. It was my dad's. I didn't even have a Bible. It was my dad's Bible. Um, and so I read the first 15 chapters of the Gospel of John. And when I finished reading, it took me a long time. I'm not a great reader even still. Um, and, and when I finished reading it, I had two things. One was I thought, if this is true, that guy was God. And the second thing was I felt like I had met him. I literally felt like I met him, like he was there with me somehow in my house. I'd never had that experience before. He just seemed like he was there, like we were having an encounter. He had shown up as I read about him. And you know what? That encounter has stuck with me my entire life. That moment of feeling like I met Jesus finally myself has been with me all my life. And you know what? I've had other moments in my life where I felt God's presence and encounter with him. I've had several in the last year where I just felt like the Lord was ministering to me and making known his love for me and his grace and his reality. Sometimes what we need more than anything is a fresh encounter with Jesus. But sometimes we do need some facts. Sometimes we do need some evidence to believe. And that's the next thing that Jesus does for Thomas. He addresses him, gives him an encounter, but then he says, hey, put your finger here. See my hands? Now, the point of that was, it's really me. These are the hands that were nailed to the cross. See my side? This is really the side that got stabbed. I'm okay now. But it's really me, Thomas. Here's the evidence that you needed. Sometimes we really do need evidence. When I came back from seminary, uh, the, after my first year, I moved back here to Kansas City. And a good friend of mine, a guy named Craig McElvain, who was a pastor, um, Craig, I, I had shared, honestly, I was so embarrassed that I had all these doubts. I didn't want to tell anybody. I was embarrassed. I felt like withdrawing from the Christian community. But luckily, I, I, I went ahead and told Craig, I said, man, I have all these doubts. I've been reading all this stuff, and there just seemed like there's so many reasons to believe what my professors, I don't want to believe that, but I'm finding myself not knowing what to do. Have you ever been in that situation? You want to believe the right thing, but you just feel like all the evidence is going the wrong direction? That's kind of how I was. 
And Craig says, okay, let's get together. We get together, and he brings in, literally, I'm not kidding, a stack of books this tall. Uh, I don't know if he did it for dramatic effect, but he puts it on my table and goes, boom. And he says, Jay, you have got to read the other side. You've got to read the other side. There is another argument than the one you're hearing, and you need to read it before you make up your mind. So that began sort of a life thing for me of being willing to read things I don't agree with, but then being willing to read the other side. When I was on the plane with this young woman, she said to me uh, in the course of our conversation, you're not one of those Christians who believes that anybody who hasn't heard in Jesus will go to hell, are you? Because I just totally don't believe that. That's what my mom believes. And I said, well, I do believe in hell, and I do believe there are some people who go there. However, that is a really good question. What about those who have never heard about Jesus? Um, I said, and I, I had to really think about that, honestly, because it bothered me, too. It seems kind of unfair, right? She's like, yes, yes, waiting for the answer, you know? And so I said, well, well, I have worked through that one, and I would love to share with you what, what I've come up with. Would you, would you like to hear that? And she said, yes, yeah. so I, I shared it with her. And if you would like to hear, you'll have to ask me back. Um, um, so we had this so what happened was we began to have this conversation and all these questions started flowing out of her now this was the, the same woman who said earlier I don't believe in God and I'm not interested now she's asking me question after question I can feel the plane starting to go down for the landing she's just pouring out question after question and question I go man that is a really good question and finally she goes I know it's a good question I want some answers she literally yells at me on the plane. I go, well, I'm about out of time here. <laughs> We're going to land here in a second. But you know what? There are people who have dealt with these questions that you have in a very fair way. And the, I, I go, are you a reader? And she said, I love to read. I go, let me give you some books that you should read then if you're open to, to actually exploring some answers to your questions. So I recommended Tim Keller's book called A Reason for God. I recommend that to you, Tim Keller's book. I recommended, I said, anything by a guy named C.S. Lewis. Anything by him. Because these guys deal with faith and doubt fairly. They're not going to make you feel stupid for your questions because they've had them. Okay? Uh, I, so go ahead and engage Go ahead and engage these books. And for you guys today, I'd also recommend Lee Strobel's book, A Case for Christ. He deals with, you know, is the Bible valid? Is it really historically reliable? Did Jesus really rise from the dead? Um, uh, John Polkinghorne was uh, the, he had this Sir Isaac Newton chair for physics at, uh, in Cambridge in England, and then he became an Anglican priest, and he's written some stuff that's very good on science, uh, in particular a book called Quarks, Chaos, and Christianity. Uh, that's a good book. Uh, another book that helped my daughter as she was trying to figure out what she believed um, was a book called I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist by Norman Geisler. So those are some books for you. If you're struggling today or you know somebody who has some questions, um, those are some books for, for you to think about. Um, the other thing that, that Jesus does, the third thing he does for Thomas is he gives him an exhortation to believe. He says, um, stop doubting and believe. Now, often when friends come to us with questions about their faith, that's where we go. We go, hey, just keep believing, brother. Keep believing, sister. Oh, man, you got to have faith. So we jump there. We jump to the exhortation, whereas Jesus in his mercy gave a personal encounter. Then he gave evidence. Then he gave an exhortation. Yeah, at some point we got to 
step out and believe. It's like this chair up here. Look, I have an encounter with the chair. There's the chair, right? Now, I may not want to sit on the chair. I haven't sat on the chair yet, right? But so I might want to measure it. I might want to do a strength test on it. I might want to determine what it's made out of. Looks like it's made out of metal. I might notice that other people sat on it. But I might still be thinking, if I sit on it, it's going to fall down. I don't want to sit on it, right? Well, at some point, if I get enough evidence, I don't know for sure that this chair is going to hold me, right? Not experientially. The only way I'll know for sure is when I go ahead and sit. It's like flying on a plane or anything. So many things we do in life, we get enough evidence to take a step of faith. And that's what we have to do with our Lord. And so God knows that. Jesus knows that. So with Thomas, he gave Thomas the evidence he needed. And he said, now you need to go ahead and take a step of faith. Stop doubting and believe. You may not have all of your answers answered, but you have enough to go ahead and believe. And that's the exhortation that Jesus gives to Thomas. And the result of that is Thomas expressing his faith, saying in the next verse, my Lord and my God. I believe Jesus is the Lord of the whole universe. That he's my Lord. I believe he is God and he is my God. And I believe he can help you get to that place if you have questions. And I believe he loves you so much he wants to help you get there. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, it says that we need to fix our eyes on Jesus because he's the pioneer and he's the perfecter of what? Of faith. He likes to help us believe. He likes to come alongside us and help us believe. He enjoys that because he knows we're so prone to doubt and to wandering. So today, let me just encourage you on your, uh, on your card here, on the next step thing, on the sermon notes, I would encourage you, if you have a question, write that on there and say, Lord, I'm going to commit with your help to getting an answer to this question. It might be an intellectual question. It might be one of those kind of philosophical, what were you doing, God, before the world was made? Uh, it might be a hurt question, a disappointment question. God, I don't know why you took my brother or my mother or my son or whatever. Um, but go ahead and expose it. And then, I, I, I believe that God loves you, that Jesus Christ loves you, and that he knows what you need to help you believe. He knows whether you need an encounter with him, or evidence, or maybe that you're at the point, what, what you really need is an exhortation to go ahead and trust again. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace and how it's revealed in your son, Jesus. We thank you, Lord, um, for this story that's been handed down to us that happened 2,000 years ago. We thank you what we see in it about doubts and how real they are and how important it is to get them in the open. We thank you for sending your son to give us encounters, to give us evidence and to exhort us to believe. I pray for each person in this room, Lord, you know right where they are, just like you knew where Thomas was. Lord, I ask that you give them what they need so they can stop doubting and believe. And that their response would be, my Lord and my God. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.